When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Second Helping, the podcast of choice of fans and followers of the number one league in all of collegiate athletics, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Ryer, senior analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the On3 Network, back with you. And alongside, of course, my great friend Brent Beard, longtime college football analyst most recently for First Coast News down in Jacksonville, Florida. Brent also a voter for the most prestigious individual honor in collegiate athletics the Heisman Trophy. And Brent, as we get into previewing week three around the Southeastern Conference, we're also going to review week two. Speaking of which, I'd say a mixed bag for the Southeastern Conference in those games last week as the SEC pretty good against the Pac-12. Not so much, though, against the Big 12 and the ACC. Well, Trav, always good to be with you. Non-conference records uh, right now, the SEC, now this is against Power Five, the SEC three and six. Tra- Travis, we're used to that being reversed, aren't we? And uh, at six and three, uh, now the funny thing is the much maligned Pac 12, they lead everybody with uh, at six and three versus Power Five, the ACC four and four, Big Ten three and three. In the Big 12, four and five, but boy, that that three and six is uh, um, I won't say for rarefied air, but this place the conference usually is not. No, that's not a a position that the league is accustomed to, no doubt about it. The good news: the SEC will get a few more of those non-conference opportunities coming up this week. We got a mix of SEC action along with non-cons, and we're going to get right into the previewing as we talk about the early window on Saturday and kicking things off on our preview. The LSU Tigers coming off a much-needed home win over Grambling. That was an interesting first quarter, I guess, but LSU explodes for 28 points in the second, takes care of business. The Tigers now travel to Starkville, where they will take on Mississippi State coming off an overtime win over visiting Arizona. Uh, We've talked about the interesting dynamic offensively for Mississippi State, kind of going forward with Zach Arnett as the head coach. I think it showed up as far as how the passing numbers for Will Rogers and the rushing numbers for Woody Marks played out in that one, Brent. Boy, uh, Travis, did we ever thought we'd see this? Mississippi State is 119 in the nation in pass attempts. That is, that is unbelievable, 46 of them. But obviously, when you can run the way they're running with marks, now they, and we talked about this in the, uh, in, in the preseason about how, the, how they would not be doing the air raid, but they would be doing more under center. And so far, uh, it has worked for them. Uh, now, LSU's won four or five in this series. This is a really good game then I'm not sure folks have have paid that much attention to uh, at this point either. State forced 
four turnovers uh, against Arizona and a big win for them uh, with that. But and and I know Brian Kelly said he's going to try to turn Harold Perkins loose, the linebacker. We saw this against Florida State. I think their scheme has confused him at this point and what they're trying to uh, be able to do with him. Uh, but uh, Trav, would this surprise you at all if this thing goes? Deep into the fourth quarter, uh, with the experience the state's got, not saying that then they're going to win the game. I still think LSU has the better roster, but I think this thing could be a really good game. It could be. My concern for Mississippi State is that the change in offensive philosophy seemingly plays into the benefit yeah. of LSU. Good point. It seems as if that LSU secondary is one that you can get after. A little bit, as we saw with Florida State. Um, but Will Rogers, I think, is going to have to throw for more than 162 yards because I just don't think yeah. you're going to line up with Woody Marks and good game against Arizona, rushing for 123 in that one. Uh, but that is just a strength, obviously, that LSU defense. So obviously, I think Mississippi State would like this thing to be more of a grinder. But uh, as we talked about, too, Mississippi State has some challenges of its own on the back end, right? It's a uh, defense that gave up 342 to yeah. Jaden Delora, the Arizona quarterback, last Saturday night. It was an overtime game, but still, um, I think the secondaries for both of these defenses are the weakness, mm-hmm. and I still think LSU's better equipped to take advantage of that than, say, Mississippi State is. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. And they're still trying to work out Jane Daniels. I think he was a little bit better. 18 to 24 for five touchdowns, no turnovers. Now, obviously, that was against Grambling, but the competition is going to heat up real soon. Mason Smith is back after his suspension uh, at defensive tackle, so that they're glad that he's back too. And Tramden Logan Diggs get people's attention mm-hmm. a little bit. Uh, the Notre Dame transfer 115 yards rushing, so. Uh, and an early test for both these teams. Yeah, I don't think either of these offenses is just going to line up and run the ball at will at the other front seven. So uh, quarterback play and two of the best. Uh, when you talk about returning players at that position in the SEC in Daniels and Rodgers. Also in that early window on Saturday, another noon Eastern kickoff. This one on the SEC network. It's what I call, Brent, a picture sitting game for Missouri. You don't know how you look until you get your picture took. Well, (laughs) Missouri's going to get its picture taken, I think, with Kansas State uh, on tap next for Eli Drinkwitz's team. K-State, a winner over Troy last week. Uh, Obviously, a team that prides itself on pounding the rock, a program, really. When you think about physicality, uh, you got to be good against the run and you got to be able to stop the run. Uh, you got to be able to run the ball at least a little bit uh, against Kansas State. That's the challenge, I think, for Missouri and Brady Cook and the rest of that Tiger offense this week. Well, and the offense is the problem <clears throat> still at Missouri. And Eli Drinkwith, as, as we talked about the offseason uh, in an SEC media day, say, said, look, I'm the problem here, so we're going to get an offensive coordinator and hope that we get better, and that necessarily is not the case. Now, they are hitting with Brady Cook on 75% of his passes, 
which is not bad. But uh, Luther Burden, both, who both Travis and I really like, has a lot of uh, uh, potential there. But in the offensive line, uh, yielded uh, four sacks. So, Travis, to me, the, the, the main thing here is can Missouri get anything out of that or more than what they've gotten out of this offense, which, uh, to say the least, has been a struggle for Missouri, but they could do themselves a lot of good by beating a, a, a really a, a very good Kansas State team. Yep, top 15 team headed to Missouri this week for that one. Moving on to the 3.30 Eastern window, a game that we had anticipated in recent weeks. I think the loss to North Carolina by South Carolina yeah. dampened that a little bit. I think there are still going to be major questions for the Gamecocks going into this matchup against top-ranked Georgia. That is a CBS game on Saturday afternoon. Uh, boy, if you can't block, Georgia yeah. isn't exactly the team you want up no. next on its schedule, but that's where Shane Beamer's team finds itself right now. Yeah, uh, they are uh, really struggling right now with their uh, offensive line uh, and just trying to protect uh, Spencer Rattler. Now, if they can give him a clean pocket, um, they could be they can be in pretty good shape. South Carolina throwing the ball, 816 yards, five touchdowns, and more importantly, no picks uh, at this point. But they have allowed the second most tackles for loss in the nation, man alive, uh, with 23. So that's something that's got to be fixed in a hurry. Now, um, Georgia uh, may have found McKee Muse uh, is a player that Kirby Smart loves, smallish in statue, but he has really done well. Uh, 69-yard punt return, 47-yard kickoff return. Well, they miss A.D. Mitchell in a lot of ways, don't they, Travis? Uh, uh, McConkey has uh, uh, been out with a back injury and now give to Dylan Bell a lot of credit for what he's done, too, uh, at running back. He had a really impressive touchdown. But, Trev, we're not surprised, are we? Those, those Mike Bobo critics are still uh, coming out of the woodwork, especially that Georgia – and basically every game so far this year, I don't know if they're just bored or they're slow to get going, but uh, Georgia fans have picked up on that and not happy. Not liking those slow starts probably as much no. as anything else. Fans expect you, especially at a place like Georgia, to come out and score touchdowns on like your first six possessions. <laughs> yeah. And that hasn't happened as of yet for this Georgia offense. Although Carson Beck seems like he's been consistent through a couple of starts and you said it special teams coming up big for the dogs against ball state last week. Also three interceptions from the Georgia defense, which you know that would seem to bode well coming up with Spencer Rattler paying a visit to Sanford stadium. So as we move along here in the three thirty window down in Tampa, an Alabama team coming off a very, very rare September loss, certainly a very, very rare Week two loss um, does go down to Raymond James Stadium, where it will take on a South Florida team, Brent, that just snapped an 11-game losing streak dating back to last season. The Bulls needed every bit of four quarters, though, to take care of FCS 
Florida A&M. So on the surface, at least, this looks to be a snapback opportunity for an Alabama team really humbled up front, yeah. I'd say, first and foremost, by the Texas Longhorns last Saturday night. Yeah, no question about that. And, and uh, they're hoping it a feel-good game like Florida got last week against McNeese State. But this uh, USF team coached by Alex Golish, uh, the former Tennessee offensive coordinator, uh, was there last year and the year before then. So he is trying to get USF established a little bit. By the way, he's the fifth coach. Trav, this is hard to do, but Golish is the fifth coach in a decade for USL. So it's not hard to find their their troubles. Uh, you can, uh, uh, they're 19th in the nation against the run, but that's because everyone throws on them. Byron Brown is leading them with r- their rushing touchdowns uh, at this point. But th- and this is a two-for-one deal that Nick Saban will take advantage of the recruiting down in the Tampa area, uh, and USF will be in Tuscaloosa next year and also in 2026. But, Trev, I know for uh, for what you write about every day, this has been a, a, uh, a tough week for uh, Alabama faithful, questions at running back, questions on the line of scrimmage, uh, miscommunication in the secondary, uh, but look, I, I, and there are a lot of issues to deal with. I, I still give Texas a lot of credit uh, in that win, as a, that was a huge win for Sark. Uh, you can also see Bo Davis's defensive line and how advanced that is, and how developed those guys are. So, uh, Bama. Really needs to get some stuff straightened out before Ole Miss comes in next week and, and Mississippi State the week after that. Yeah, it's uh, we talk about character checks on this podcast a lot for other teams. We don't typically talk yeah, about them really. for Nick Saban teams at Alabama, but that's the unusual place that the Crimson Tide finds itself in on the road in a game that it should win, perhaps handily. I think Alabama's a 30 one 32 point favorite on the road uh we'll see we'll see what the psyche of this team is certainly they've been beat up by former players alums fans yes everybody yes. else it's been a rough week on social media for this edition of the alabama crimson tide we'll see how they respond uh coming up at four o'clock eastern on saturday afternoon from college station talk about get right opportunities Texas A&M in that position following a disappointing performance and a loss to Miami down in South Florida. Again, you credit the opponent and you credit Mario Cristobal for having his team ready to go. Uh, But Texas A&M just uh, that felt like that felt too much like the Texas A&M we've seen for the vast majority of Jimbo Fisher's stint to this point, even with Bobby Petrino in there now as the offensive coordinator. Uh, and by the way, this needs to be pointed out early that Jimbo's buyout is still $78 million. That's actually <laughs> That's actually come down a little bit, Trav, but uh, still, that's a lot of money. But, but uh, Aggie fans have a lot of money. And, and oh, by the way, how about being focused, Trav? Uh, after they get back from Coral Gables, basically the next day, Shamir Turner 
their leading uh, SAC leader arrested for reckless driving, uh, Turner, a defensive lineman, so that didn't go real well. And boy, what about this too? A&M has lost nine of their last 12 games against Power Five teams. Mm. So, so uh, no, and and I'm I'm curious how you felt about this, Travis. I was I frankly was surprised. I, I thought A&M just had the better line of scrimmage, but to Cristobal and Miami's credit, they were able to do basically anything they wanted to do. Got a big special teams play. So A&M now comes home against uh, uh, Tara Bowden, hoping to rebound uh, with the uh, the SEC schedule starting next week. Yeah, Tyler Van Dyke for Miami throws for 374. Connor Weekman with 336. Uh, but the turnover, the interception where Anias Smith falls down on the route, Yes, uh, that had the feel of catastrophic when yeah. it happened. And that, to me, wasn't on Wiegman. And I'm not really blaming it on Anaya Smith, who's coming off a pretty significant lower extremity injury. So you don't know if that played a role in him losing his footing on a surface, by the way, that is dual purpose. It, it serves Miami. It serves the Dolphins. So uh, some different things in play there. But absolutely, A&M needs to figure some things out. With ULM, and you said it, Tere Bowden visiting College Station this week. Coming up in primetime, boy, it is a loaded slate from yeah. 7 p.m. Eastern through 7.30 p.m. Eastern in terms of kickoffs. On ESPN at 7, you're going to have Tennessee traveling to the Florida Gators. And look, we're not ready to say this is a fork in the road game for Billy Napier, but could he absolutely use a win in this spot? No doubt about that. And meanwhile, Tennessee, a little bit of a sluggish performance last week. Yeah. Makes you wonder how much of the preparation was really on an FCS opponent and yeah. how much maybe was more so looking ahead to the Florida Gators. Either way, the Vols haven't had much success in Gainesville for quite some time, have they? No, uh, they play there 21 times. Tennessee only have five wins, and two of those came in the 1950s. So uh, they haven't won in Gainesville in 20 years, which is – in that 20 years trial, frankly, was uh, with Phil Fulmer and Steve Spurrier. And the, the one of the things that uh, the modern-day fan may not understand – is this game, and I know you remember it well, like I like I did, uh, was uh, the U.S. Open was on CBS for the first two weeks of September, and that third week of September was Florida and Tennessee, and oftentimes it was a top five game. Uh, folks may not re- remember that, but it it certainly was, but. Uh, in this game, Kingsley Aguakin comes back for the Gators. That that was certainly help. Uh, I think Graham Mertz, their quarterback, has been fairly steady. Ricky Pearsall picking things up a little bit. They do like Eugene Wilson uh, a lot. They need to get him the ball more than they uh, than they have. And to your point on Tennessee, uh, our friend Vince Ferrar, who uh, covers Tennessee and Knoxville uh, in radio uh, told us this week that, that Travis, they were uh, the beat writers for Tennessee 
were were uh, he used the word shocked about how poorly they played. But back to your point again, in last week's game against Ball State, said that they cannot get their second team quarterback Nicole Lamaliva uh, in to uh, to get him any kind of experience uh, now. Uh, and again, the thing that everybody is able to look at is Milton at quarterback uh, has not been very sharp. Cooper Mays is back. Uh, the defense is better. They've got 11 sacks and 25 tackles for loss. And you call this about three months ago. The one thing they can do is run the ball with Jalen Wright, Jabari Small, and Dylan Sampson. <clears throat> but look, people are critical of Florida. But, Trev, this Tennessee team has not been on all cylinders either. No, and when I look at this matchup and I think of these two offenses, I think the advantage goes to Tennessee because I think in the way of explosive play potential, yeah. that should be Tennessee's calling card. That should provide the separation Tennessee needs. But you're right. It's been a little bit hit or miss so far with Joe Milton back in there behind center. Uh, against an FCS opponent in Austin P last week, uh, the longest reception by a Tennessee player was a tight end. So uh, I love Jalen Wright, by the way, along with Quinshawn Judkins, yeah. probably my two favorite running backs in the league, just the way they, the, their style and how they uh, bring it running the football. So uh, it'll be a good one. I think, I think it'll be a tight game uh, and it very well might come down to just those few explosive plays that the balls are able to capitalize in, on or not uh, in the passing game. Also at 7 Eastern on Saturday night, Auburn coming off that retro win out <laughs> west over the Cal Bears. You know, that win, 14-10 to 10 over Cal, with Samford set to visit from Homewood in the Birmingham area coming up this week. It was a good thing that was a late night game because a lot uh-huh. of people probably didn't have to watch it. I stayed up, watched the whole thing, yes. you know, start to finish uh, for the most part. And uh, I don't think... That offensive performance is how Hugh Freeze envisions that side of the ball in terms of the big picture. But when they needed it, Peyton Thorne got the offense along with uh, some help from some guys around him. Also uh, at the quarterback position as well. Uh, They got it done. They got it done in Berkeley. And now the stage is set for them to you know, build some confidence this week and, and then prepare themselves, brace themselves for when it gets real here in a couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, and Trav, if Cal has a better kicker, uh, that's a different game, is it not? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Auburn also, Eugene Asante played well, 12 tackles, nine solos, so that they were pleased with, with how he uh, rose up. Sanford, Losing to Western Carolina uh, last week uh, that they didn't play well, but they can move the ball up and down a little bit. Michael Hires is their quarterback. But, uh, look, the important thing about this is uh, is Auburn's schedule, uh, frankly, gets brutal uh, after this. So uh, the uh, the more th- – this is a game they need to win. They'll be 3-0 and with – Man Alive, A&M, Georgia, LSU, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State travel. All, all those teams in a row coming up. Yeah, I only had to throw it 17 times against Cal to win by four. Going to have to throw it more than that. That's 17 combined between two quarterbacks. 
yeah. Thorne and Ashford. So yes. um, going to have to find something more in the passing game. I do think defensively, we've known about Auburn that corner play would be a strength for that defense. Uh, so that's a nice building block for the Tigers on that side of the ball. And you said it, big defining stretch coming up for the Tigers after this week. Vanderbilt at 7 o'clock Eastern this Saturday night, traveling to Vegas to take on the Rebels of Barry Odom these days. That's right. Former SEC head coach, former SEC coordinator. Vandy looking to rebound Brent after really giving it up defensively to a balanced Wake Forest team on that side of the ball. Yeah, uh, they were really hoping to beat Wake uh, with uh, the goal of starting 4-0, which would have been uh, really big for them. If they could have done that, Wake converted 10 of 15 on third down, so that's certainly something that Vandy is looking at. A.J. Swan still doing some pretty good work uh, overall. Uh, and has gotten off to a decent start. He's thrown a few picks, which <clears throat> certainly has not helped him either. Now, Michigan really carved up UNLV. J.J. McCarthy was 22 or 25, uh, so maybe Swan can have some kind of help like that. But, travel that said, if a 3-1 and one start for Vanderbilt, it wouldn't be the, their main goal but that would still be a nice September for them, wouldn't it? It would. And, you know, they're getting some good things, especially out of their wide receivers. Landon Humphreys, a freshman uh, with four catches against Wake for 109 yards and a touchdown. Will Shepard, you expect it from him on the outside, eight for 87. But I'm going to go out on a limb here, Brent, and just you know throw it out there that if you give up, 100 yards to two different backs on the same team, you're probably going to lose yeah. those games. Yeah. And that's what Vanderbilt did with Claiborne and Carney for Wake, combining for 272 rushing yards against the Commodores last week. That's got to improve moving forward for Clark Lee's team. Also in that nighttime window on Saturday night, Georgia Tech traveling to Oxford yeah. to take on an Ole Miss team. Give the Rebels credit, man. And I think this team has the personality of its starting quarterback as mm -hmm. much as anything else because I think Jackson Dart has proven himself at this point to be a tough SOB, and it required some toughness, yep. even yep. with a backup quarterback in the game for Tulane, to take that early barrage that Ole Miss took and still get the job done in New Orleans. I'll tell you one thing, too, Trav, and they held Tulane to only three points in the second half. Yep. So for Pete Golding's defense, that was impressive. Dayton Wade, uh, seven catches for 106 yards. Uh, so that really was helpful. They're concerned about Trey Harris, uh, another receiver who has played well uh, that has been banged up. So that not sure exactly when they will uh, be able to uh, uh, to see him again. Uh, look, this tax team is really interesting, uh, frankly. Uh, Haynes King, who used to be with A&M, uh, is uh, the quarterback for Georgia Tech and, frankly, has looked pretty sharp at times. Uh, and, and this is a team that uh, has stepped up. They made some, some significant improvements. 
uh, along the way too. So, uh, I'm, Trev, I tell you, this will be, and it may get swallowed up, unfortunately, uh, with some of the other games going on that night, particularly with Florida and Tennessee. But this is a nice game. It's a good test for Ole Miss. And can they concentrate on the Yellow Jackets before going to Tuscaloosa? Yeah, that's going to be uh, a challenge. But, man, I'm very impressed with Jackson Dart at this point. I, I love yeah. that dude's toughness. Uh, you got to get Quinshawn Judkins going a little bit more, I would think. Uh, but you've got some storylines here, too, because I believe, right, Brent Key was the offensive line coach maybe at one yeah. time for Lane Kiffin Just at so, Alabama. Yeah. So, uh some interesting angles on the sidelines this week as well. Hey, let's talk BYU at Arkansas coming up on Saturday night. This is an ESPN two matchup. Uh, the hogs, we talk about sort of defining stretches that are upcoming for teams around the Southeastern conference with BYU in town this week. I'd say uh, that Sam Pittman's team is on the doorstep of that kind of stretch. Uh, no doubt about it. And, and look, maybe certainly one of the top five players in the SEC is likely not going to be playing, and that's Rocket Sanders. Uh, they've got a knee issue there, so hopefully he will be back uh, as soon as possible. Uh, but this BYU team is interesting, and in uh, this is a game BYU hosted Arkansas last year, so they're returning the favor. Cody Alps, BYU's best receiver, looks like he is coming back. Uh, also, uh, Hogs without Sanders have not run the ball uh, real well, but some things they have, they have done well. Uh, now, Trev, you're probably going to be undefeated if you don't allow these two things. One is they have not allowed a quarterback sack. Number two, they've committed no turnovers. And, and oh, by the way, that BYU quarterback, Kendon Slovis, the much-traveled one mm-hmm. from USC and Pitt, and now BYU. So he's been around the block, has he, Travis? He's been around as much as JT Daniels. It's amazing with the yeah. SC quarterbacks, right? Jackson Dart, yes. uh, JT Daniels, now of Rice, who got a big upset of Crosstown Houston last Saturday night. Really? Uh, you worry about Holgo at this point. Um but, yeah, Slova is certainly in that mix as well. Uh, and, you know, you said it. If you can stop the run in understanding, it's been Western Carolina and Kent State through two games. But Arkansas giving up just 1.4 yards per carry yes. defensively. Uh, you're right, though. The concern is without Sanders, uh, that run game, that they obviously lean on uh, quite a bit because the Hogs come into this one after two games averaging a really modest 3.4 yards per carry. So uh, should be a fun one at Reynolds Razorback Stadium on Saturday night. So as we move through the evening hours and we wrap things up on Saturday, Akron travels to Kentucky. Kentucky, another one of these teams, uh, Brent, that on the sort of tail end now, of a gracious stretch to enter the season. Yeah. Uh, but but the reality of the situation starts to come into view in very short order here. Yeah, it, it really is. And the big thing uh, what, with this game uh, is that Liam Cohen will be back, their offensive coordinator. We don't know any real details. Had a medical episode on Sunday that sent him to the hospital 
Trev, is it my imagination or are we seeing more uh, football coaches um, who I know LSU went through this, who have had medical episodes, as they've called yeah. them, uh, and, and man alive, how important it is to take. Well, just look at the Mike Leach situation. No I mean, doubt, that's at the very top of the list. But you're right; it it it's it's not a job for everybody. And no. I, I think I think folks are becoming more aware of that now. Whereas in previous eras, there was probably a lot of these issues. Yes. You just never heard about them. You, right. you didn't hear about injury reports involving players or coaches. Yeah. Uh, but when you're without a coordinator, for sure, or a head coach, that, that, that's something that's typically going to reveal itself, whether you want to or not. Uh, well, and, and I think on the field, uh, and, and look, Kentucky's been okay, but I think folks thought they would be more than okay. Uh, frankly, and in, in, uh, Devin Leary's taking some uh, adjustment uh, with this. I, I do think the offensive line will be better. I mean, it's good for them to uh, uh, to be playing Akron uh, at this point. And again, Kentucky, like everybody else, uh, is about to really get going uh, with their schedule too. But uh, have you been a little bit surprised, uh, Travis, with uh, – uh, well, with the, the start, the Cats have had uh, uh, some criticism from the fans and the media. It just haven't hummed along the way they thought it would. But look, anytime you get a new quarterback, uh, changes your offensive line, your coordinator comes back, people, it, there's not much patience in college football anymore, is it? Well, we've talked about needed improvement on the offensive line for Kentucky. And they're coming off a game against Eastern Kentucky in which they didn't have a running back average. Uh, well, they did. They had one running back, Jefferson, averaged more than four yards per carry or 4.3. So, mm. you know, it still goes back to can this team, you know, run the football. Devin Leary is going to be fine throwing it with those receivers. And there are things you can do with a guy like Barry and Brown that make what? him more all-purpose in nature. Uh, but the question, the jury's still out on that uh, – on that Kentucky offensive line. So uh, we're not going to get some real answers until a, a few weeks from now or start to anyway, but you know, that was a game against Eastern Kentucky last Saturday that the Colonels led 10, seven in the third quarter. So um, obviously uh, Kentucky still has some, some ground to cover. There is comfort in knowing though, that with Leary at quarterback, uh, you can cover for some of those deficiencies that, That's that this team has still on both sides of the ball, really. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, and maybe, Trav, this may be a year, unlike last year, may just be reversed, yeah. uh, where they, uh, they they played well in the beginning and that offensive line got caught up with them and, and basically cost them the season before it's over. So, uh, And they've got Vandy coming up, which will be interesting. But, but I, yeah, I'm with you with that. I, I, I do think we'll see a lot of improvement in Kentucky soon. So there you go. That's a look around the Southeastern Conference as we get you ready for week three in the SEC. Brent, you got anything else you want to give us before we get out of here? Uh, uh, Trav, I think folks, um, they want a weekly pumps report. <laughs> is he still high on those uh, oh. on those buffaloes? And, and, and what's his opinion of Florida, Tennessee? Yeah, you know, I got to ask him about Florida, Tennessee, but... You know, we were trying to get together with him last Saturday, 
and he said he was unavailable until after three because oh. he was watching Prime. Yeah. And his and his CU Buffaloes, his freshly adopted <laughs> CU Buffaloes. So absolutely, he is all in still on Coach Prime and CU. So there's your there's your pops update. And that's that's about the best I can do this week. Uh, and and Trav also next week. Uh, you've got Ohio State, Notre Dame, Florida State, Clemson, Colorado, Oregon. We mentioned Bama and Ole Miss, Iowa, Penn State, UCLA, Utah, and Washington State at Oregon State. Yes, those are two top 25 teams. Pretty good week four, uh, but we're excited about week three coming up right now. Absolutely. Always excited about upcoming action in the Southeastern Conference. Well, Brent, enjoyed it. Look forward to doing it again next week. Uh, Trav, as we go, uh, and I'm, I'm going to make this in about 20 seconds. Um, I had a some surgery on my jaw, pre-cancer situation. It was found in a routine examination with the dermatologist. So my, my parting words here would be, uh, I encourage folks, take care of yourself. We, we've got responsibility with significant others and children and grandchildren and so forth. And Trav, that's one way that we can do it is just to stay with our doctor's appointments because we never know what they can find and take care of before it becomes a real problem. Yep, being proactive is definitely the key listen to your body pay attention to your body it seldom lies to you if you're being honest with yourself anyway yes that is the case well brent we're glad everything worked out okay it seems with that situation and uh we'll continue to monitor it as we move forward and again as brent said take care of yourself folks that's where it's got to start. For Brent Beard, Travis Schreier, thanking you once again for joining us right here on Second Helping, the podcast of choice for fans and followers of the number one league in all of collegiate athletics, the SEC. For Brent, Travis, we'll talk to you again real soon. Until next time, so long, everybody. <laughs>